the electric chair, the shadow of death. Everybody out there in internet land, welcome to another edition of The Electric Chair. I'm Midnight Corey, your host. And this week we got a lot of great things for you. Thank you for listening. Of course, uh, the 2D show, which I, I hope you've noticed in the past uh, week or so here, I, I posted another episode of The Electric Chair 2D, uh, the video uh, episodes that I have on YouTube and spookshow.tv. Um, and uh, you'll be able to see the, uh, the interview with Sandra DaCosta. And I'm actually fixing to release another one uh, here fairly soon, as soon as I get time to you know did, uh, put everything together and get it all polished up and real nice so that when you watch it, it'll be a you know, a, a very smooth, enjoyable experience, I hope, anyhow. But uh, no, I, I appreciate that you're listening to this show and watching that one and everything. It's, it's really, really cool of you. I have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. Um, of course, this is also part of uh, the Horror Podcasting Alliance at uh, horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. And you can hear my wonderful voice on uh, Stitcher Smart Radio. So load Stitcher on up on your phone or your tablet and experience this show as well as a lot of other great podcasts. So, yeah, um, this week um, I get together once again with my friend Jamie from Devour the Podcast, Evil Episodes, and we get to talk with a wonderful indie director named Gav Chucky Steele. Uh, he just produced uh, a movie, actually he wrote and directed, did a, you know, a whole bunch of things, um, but it's called The Shadow of Death. Uh, it's not yet released. He's still trying to you know, look for distribution and festival stuff and all that, but uh, he was kind enough to give Jamie and I a, a screening of the movie, and uh, we get to talk with them all about that, and uh, let me tell you, I'm really excited for it to get out there for you guys to see it, because, uh, man, it, it was a lot of fun, so we had a lot of fun talking to him, and also this week, uh, something really exciting, I'm bringing you kind of a new segment, um, it's not going to be on every show, I don't think, because really, again, uh, you know, I just have to kind of uh, figure out what I'm doing from, uh, from segment to segment, but uh, this is a segment called Tales from the Electric Chair, and, uh, you know, I've wanted to get into possibly like audiobook reading and, you know, things like that because I really enjoy reading. I enjoy using my voice and generally I just love to hear myself make noise. But <laughs> anyhow, um, so I've decided to kind of start doing that. I'm, I'm just going to read some stories and uh, hope you, you get into it. And they're going to all be horror stories. Um, they're either going to be like uh, public domain things or um, stories that I've gotten direct uh, permission from the writer or the publisher or whatever, whoever I need to go through uh, to do that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of greatness, and I'm going to try to can I keep it kind of different, uh, although I'm sure I'll be visiting Lovecraft and, and uh, you know, maybe even uh, a novel like, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, something like that at some point. Who knows? But uh, this week I got a good one for you, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, although you can probably go read the show notes and find out right now if you really, really want to. But uh, that's going to come up at the end of the show, and it's really enjoyable. Um, so yeah, yeah, no uh, no feedback this week, um, although I have talked with people about the show last week, and they really seem to enjoy the wackiness of uh, the drive-in Super Monsterama. And um, Sean from Angry Gnome just messaged me on Facebook, and he's like, well, he's like, I listened to the episode, and I didn't hear you mention anything about it, but 
did you realize that Tom Savini and Doug Bradley were both there Saturday night? And I'm like, I had no idea. And in fact, on Saturday night, if you recall, the only thing I was really concerned about was just keeping warm and not experiencing frostbite. <laughs> you know, even though it was like 50 or something, you know, it still seemed really, really cold, you know, being that we were like in the 80s and 90s, you know, just days before that. But uh, yeah, yeah, we were all freezing and just kind of keeping to ourselves that night. And uh, so I didn't do a whole lot of wandering around and I'm bummed. You know, I've met Tom Savini several times, whatever, but I'm really bummed that uh, I missed Doug Bradley, uh, who is at Horror Realm actually this weekend. And I'm not quite sure I'll be getting out to that, unfortunately. So yeah, miss him twice. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh, whatever. But uh, yeah, so anyhow, um, how did I get into that? Well, um, feedback. Anyhow, uh, a lot of people have, you know, talked with me on Twitter and Facebook and even personally stuff about uh, really enjoying that last show. So I appreciate that you listened to it and kind of kept up with the insanity. And hopefully you'll consider next year coming to the drive in because that was, that was a blast. And I talked with George Rice, you know, over email and, and just to thank him for a great time and to congratulate him for a, a very successful weekend. And uh, he said, you know, they're doing it again next year and I uh, can't wait. So, yeah, there we go. Um, so let's get on with uh, with the show here. Um, here is uh, Jamie and I speaking with Gav Chucky Steele. Enjoy. Wait a minute. What's your name, officer? You can call me Zombie Cop. I'm sitting here on a beautiful Sunday afternoon, and uh, of course, I first off, I am with who is pretty much the unofficial co-host of the Electric Chair. Um, you would think, uh, Jamie. Thank you for, uh, for joining. And, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, that's cool. I just figured you maybe you hit mute again or something, or you know, it's uh, no. But uh, first of all, I'm happy sorry. birthday. Thank you. You're uh, Thank recording you're... on your birthday, so that's extra special. I am. I love it. I'm. What better way to spend your birthday doing something you absolutely love with, you know, favorite people on the planet? Oh, well, <laughs> thank I'm you. I'm so excited to talk to you, our guest. I'm, I'm very excited about this, too. So, yay, happy birthday to me. Oh, absolutely. And, yes, very special guest today. I'm really excited to have on filmmaker Gav Chucky Steele. Gav, thanks for joining us this afternoon, man. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Thank you for letting me be on your show. And, um, uh, yeah, Jamie, happy birthday. Um, yeah, uh, it's great we're all here to chat about this. This is pretty cool. Yeah, um, I'm sh I'm sure a lot of your audience don't even know really who I am because the movie only came out like you know uh, a few months ago. It's finished, so I guess some of your audience are like, oh, what's the movie? What is this movie? <laughs> yeah, well, what's cool is um, <laughs> yeah, we'll be able to talk yeah, about that's... it and I think get some interest in it. You know, we'll send people to the website and. Um, of course, uh, we're talking we're talking about a movie called The Shadow of Death, um, and it's uh, right now what it's uh, kind of doing the festival thing right now. Am I correct? Yeah, kind of. It, it, well, this is obviously something I'll chat about the whole train too of um, having to uh, pay to submit to film festivals, hmm. and then not really having a massive amount of money to go for these festivals. So it is it is kind of yes and no that at the yeah. moment. I'm kind of going for free ones at the moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, but it, it has been shown around here and there. So, you know, some people have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate, you know, you giving uh, Jamie and I a chance to uh, to screen this thing kind of ahead of time. And uh, it was I got to say, I really enjoyed it. Jamie, overall, um, what were your uh, initial thoughts on the film? Oh, I love this movie. It's so much fun. And 
I have been following it on and, and him on. Well, we've been friends on Facebook for quite a while, and I've been watching the yeah. updates, and I was so excited to see it. And um, he was so kind to let me, and I really had a ball. This movie was was fun for me. Yeah, same here. Um, I it was so much fun. It's the kind of thing it made me laugh a lot. Um, but uh, also there were there was a lot of horror involved in it. Uh, I, I loved just the gore scenes that were going on. You had a lot of homages that I picked up on that yeah. I thought were really, really cool. Um, so, uh, Gav, can you uh, just kind of give everyone a synopsis? You know, of course, you know, we're not going to give anything away or spoil anything, but uh, what what's the gist of what goes on in uh, The Shadow of Death? Um, okay, well, thank you both for liking it, for one thing. Thanks for talking about it, which is great. Um, uh, well, it's really a, like three friends who uh, live at home. They uh, one of them's a bit of a stoner. She runs out of weed. It's that old scenario of like eighty slasher films where there's, there's always weed involvement somewhere along the line. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just it's just like it was a no-brainer to like just jump it into like the simplest uh, setup possible. So it's these guys they are, they are run out of weed. So they ring up some guy. He says he can help them out, but they got to go to the woods. So they go pick him up from a skate park. They take, they all drive out to the woods, and they get out of the woods, and they get lost. And uh, there's a guy killing people. It's like it's that simple premise. It's so simple. It's uh, but then again, less is more in some ways. So um, yeah, that's it really. That is it. Then it just uh, I suppose it goes off on a sort of a slight tangent slightly at times. Um, yeah, I think that's it really for synopsis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a very uh, simple slasher. You know, kind of on the surface level, but uh, you're right. I mean, there's there's actually a lot more that goes on kind of underneath without really mucking things up. You know, it, it doesn't confuse you as far as what the what's going on in the plot. Um, very easy no. to follow. Um, but uh, yeah, this um, you know something I, I just got to bring up is the huge Evil Dead vibe that I was getting from it. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, not not only was Dan wearing the shirt, you know, the whole movie. Um, but, uh, you know, you had the cabin in the woods, some stuff you did with the camera, um, you know, it was, it was an obvious homage, uh, to the stuff they did in Evil Dead. So, um, I take it that was, that was one of your huge influences in this. Um, yeah, totally. Um, cause like, there's also, I just love the way Sam Raimi did that with, that sounds like Peter Jackson, bad taste. Just the way they made the film as well as, um. That's kind of a homage to the way it's actually built around its uh, built around itself and stuff. Yeah. And of course, uh, I was going to use the shadow of death almost like they used within the woods. Uh, I don't know if you know about that. The half an hour short movie they uh, filmed to get the financing for Evil Dead. Oh yeah, you seen that one? Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Especially, I know you could probably get uh, pirated VHS copies and stuff yeah. on the internet. Um, uh, and I, I thought about doing that. Then I was like, well, I'll do a full movie. So, yeah, the whole time I read like, The Evil Dead Companion and I, I watched a lot of making of. Um, and that, that that's just such a sort of lovely movie with, like, just sitting in the woods. It's so basic and easy. And it just and that cabin's so good. It's like, uh, but I had to sort of hide it away without trying to. Um, I actually had to edit out some camera angles because they're really low panning shots. Mm. Up to like the shack, and it's just like I can't do that. It's just uh, I don't want to be like what, what, what are you doing? You know. Um, but I remember actually watching Cabin in the Woods recently, and there's one shot when it goes up to the cabin, and it's that shot. It's just going along. <laughs> and that's straight out from Evil Dead. But the fact that I had a character around Evil Dead 
t-shirt, I can exactly do that as well. So, but yeah, it, it is a homage. A lot of other films were as well, but yes, you know, right. Oh yeah. Yeah, Evil Dead. Yeah. yeah. So, what'd you think, James? I mean, you know, Evil Dead. I, I'm, I'm sure you caught that. Um, but uh, what else? Uh, what else did you notice about this that was cool? So many things, and yes, I did catch that. But so many things. That was one of the was the things I was most excited to talk to him about. Were these little intentional nods, like one that I caught, and I'm kind of curious to see if you caught this, Corey, because God, I think you told me that you didn't have a lot of people catching the reference I'm referring to. And do you remember which one that is? Um, no. The, the pe- no, no. <laughs> yeah, the, the Peacemaker reference to... No? Oh, man. I'm, I'm drawing a complete... I feel, I feel like an idiot. I'm drawing a complete blank. No, 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 no. no. Well, it's, you know, it's a werewolf thing, so, you know, if it were a zombie thing, then uh, you'd you feel, you feel like an idiot. But, uh, it's a werewolf thing, so don't. <laughs> Oh. Like, out of so many reviews I've had, a lot of people have said that a lot of it. Some people have said movies I haven't even seen, which I've apparently have I've never even seen. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that, 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 wow, that, you're that, good. <laughs> but um, uh, you are the only person still, because you said it on uh, the Valor podcast, you're the only person that has noticed that reference to Silver Bullet. And no one else has, so oh. I, was, I was quite happy that you did. Yeah, 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 that was good. Um, there, is, there is a lot oh. of homages in it. Really subtle one as well, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well done. Yeah, kudos to you. Well, um, <laughs> I, now I have to, I have to ask about, uh, you know, was the eye gouging scene was that kind of like a Fulci kind of uh, influence there, or was that just something I want to do a really cool eye gouging uh, scene? Um, uh, I think so. Yeah, I, I am. I, I do love his work. A lot of his like zombie flicks and stuff. Um, and I think so. I, it, it's just it's when you start to like, write a script, and if a script takes a long time to write, and you're watching certain movies along the way, there's definitely you can get like just the slight influence. You may not even think about it, but next day you're writing away, and you, and you probably don't even think about it, but you might take something from something. So I reckon originally the idea is like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely, oh yeah, yeah. And I think I know I know it's something which people aren't really into. If you look at percentages of what people are not into, I reckon that could be fairly high. Mm. Um, um, so yeah, I went for that, and then I also could use that gag which came afterwards with the uh, springy eyes. Uh, springy yes, eyes. I love mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, so I could do the whole horror and humor, like hit them together really tightly. So hopefully, like um, the senses are being played with all the time, sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I loved um, you know just the way you uh, edited this together and and shots like that, you know, just juxtaposing those two shots and. And um, something yeah. that was especially, especially cool that I love the way that was shot was the very beginning where you're going around the table and the, and the three girls are just talking about scoring some weed and everything. And really yeah. all you see is their hands the whole time and kind of what they're doing with their hands. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. Where, I mean, how'd you, how'd you come up with a sequence Thank like you. that? I said exactly the same thing. There's so, there's such an amazing sequence. It's beautiful. I, uh, I'm so glad you picked up on that. Hmm. I'm not surprised, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad. There's, there's a couple of ways I got it. I like it. Because, um, at the time, I was watching a lot of Mario Bava films, and there's one of his movies where the camera just kind of keeps going, and it kind of lingers on to a, a, a subject or a subject matter or something. And you think it, it's going to focus in, Clint, so it's going to be like the whole plot around that or something. But then the camera moves again. Like the Mario Argento movies, it's a 
maybe possibly where the camera just goes up and over the house for ages and ages but like, it stops mm. sort of you know then just keeps on moving so it's that whole sort of thing taken from like gi films and i didn't really want to show the characters faces straight away i thought like, it'd be like an introduction to them and it worked well with the uh, credits as well so it wasn't anything made you had to take in it's just like hands and it sort of showed what they're doing one's a nerd uh, the, well, obviously, it's supposed to be like a nerd with like computer stuff. It's like, you know, and then uh, the stone obviously is like trying to skin up a, a joint and stuff. And um, then the other person just took a cup of coffee. It's just like a way to do that. And yeah, I thought it was a nice little way to do an introduction without showing their faces. So you don't actually see them until the car journey uh, to the skate park later on. But I, I don't actually know how or why it came up. It's just one of the things. Uh, again, I made inputs at the time I was writing, and just like popped in my head, and I was like, "Yep, that'd do." And it was just a simple and easy way. And I filmed that in my loft at my house as well, like on a Sunday afternoon. Wow. Um, if you listen carefully, you can see like kids outside. You can hear like kids outside, like playing and stuff in the park. Um, oh wow! If you listen, really, you know, it's so it's so ghetto. It really is. <laughs> Proper ghetto gorilla filmmaking, you know. Oh, it came out it came out beautifully, man. For um you know just for pulling this up now you know if i if you don't mind me asking what what was the budget roughly uh that you were working with here um um it was well i, I don't mind saying it was grand like a thousand pound um wow. i don't know what that's probably i don't know what is the exchange right now so it's probably like two two thousand dollars possibly mm-hmm. um oh no that's probably completely actually anyway yeah um it wasn't much at all um, wow. I, I was very, very, very lucky through like people who worked on it and helped me out and friends and uh, yeah, really lucky. Like an actual a policeman, a friend who's a policeman, gave me the uh, uniform which is used in the film. Nice. And um, which is is really, really illegal. And <laughs> we could, should have been arrested, you know, just filming. It's, it was really quite sketchy at times filming close the road and stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So a thousand pounds is what it is, and I I just used a standard camcorder, which cost me three hundred pounds. Um, wow. And three hundred pounds sound uh, recorder, and that was it. We got a microphone borrowed from a film school, and uh, yeah, yeah. People just helped out. Some people would wear the same own clothes and things, and yeah, yeah. Really, really ghetto. A thousand pounds, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. You stretched that. Man, you really... Yeah. Uh, it, now, something I, I was reading on, on the website uh, about the making of and stuff about the movie, and you remarked on there, and it, it kind of made me chuckle, was that um, you said you had scored one of the locations for the price of a bottle of whiskey. Now, uh, was that the was that the mm-hmm. cabin you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's quite it. funny. The, the, the guy who's son that owns the plot of land because we filmed around the woods there as well um he sent me a message saying the other day oh i can see the films like doing well. maybe i should have um maybe we should charge you uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah but I, I did you know i had no idea what the movie's gonna end up like so yeah um yeah i, I um i facebook facebook's so good because i put a thing out on facebook saying does anybody know any cabins local and the first person that came out was a friend of mine said yeah no one near me Originally in the script, I had a huge house they find next to a graveyard. Uh, and, you know, and as you can imagine, it's not like the easiest thing to find with no money at all. all right. um, so I could have done it with like fake gravestones, uh, gravestone to, to put them next to it and not like, be able to put angles up towards the house. I could have done that and got away with it, but it was just like trying to find an empty 
house in the woods and you know and we found this cabin it only had two it has two rooms in it and it's like right okay so i need to have a little look at the script here but um i found it we, we went out the first person i said oh do you know who owns that farm and they're like oh oh my husband why like a bit like you know why do you want to and i said oh, i'm making the film like, oh okay no worries i'll send my son out and you can go up and have a look at it <laughs> uh, I was like, okay cool uh, so we went up and he's showing me around i said oh, i'd love to film the here and he's like oh, yeah it should be fine maybe just give my uh, dad a bottle of whiskey or something to say thank you but yeah, yeah okay yeah no problem and i got a contract i, I made up a contract we both signed it saying that i'd, I'd be three months and i wouldn't harm the property in any way and it would be exactly how it was when i first set up um and they were, they were absolutely fond of it and uh yeah uh, this the character became a sort of character in itself in the film and uh, having the woods around to film as well was amazing um so yeah, a, a, a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, I'm, yeah that's it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Jamie, Jamie. Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like I'm hogging up the you know all the the talking here. Uh, what do you got? No, sweetie, I loved letting you go. Please feel free to jump <laughs> in. You know, anytime. You know, it's all good. I'll hog no, things forever. Well, I if you do. Let me. I I want to uh, I want to remark on how much I loved some of the gags in this film. Um, I thought you it was very original and fresh and fun and. You don't get a lot of that sometimes these days. Um, and yeah. <laughs> there was um, one in particular in the very beginning, which I don't want to, I don't, I mean, I don't know how far I can go without actually spoiling it, but um, <laughs> like, if that, would that be considered a spoiler? I don't know. But um, anyway, it, um, <laughs> it's uh, paraphernalia through the head. And, <laughs> and oh, yeah, I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love it. That was. And that was, it was so. It was so fantastic, and really, so much more than I expected for a <laughs> for a movie with such a small budget. You know, comparative, and it's yeah. really well done. Yeah. Really well done. Thank um, you. <laughs> you're welcome. There was also something, and I have been dying to ask you this forever. That what is your what's the next movie called? Because if there's a uh, yeah. Um, well, we've got. Um, uh, two movies, uh, but the, the second one we're doing, what you referring to, Craven and the Devil Worshipping Doggers? Yes. Now, please, <laughs> okay. every time we've Craven... talked about this before, but explain. I just want to know what the term it means. Like, um, <laughs> what is a what is a dogger? Tell me. <laughs> uh, yeah, a dogger. Um, in English term, it's um, basically uh, people go to a car park for sex in a car. And, uh, oh, get, okay. Get, huh. get a group of people, a group of people around the car, uh, yeah, watching. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. See, because you mentioned that, in, you mentioned that in Shadow of Death, and I'm like, what in the hell? What does that mean? And then, like, I, I kept meaning to ask you all the time. I've, I've, I've you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. See, see, that's why I, I never you. have. Well, so that's why I said to you, well, if uh, some of my humour will come across it. Uh, in America, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, it's only because you know that's true. But that was rare. That for the most part, I really, I really did connect with it. And I know you were concerned about that. But um, a lot of us over here, we really, we really love British humor. And um, for those I think who do, uh, we'll, we'll get it. We'll connect enough. That was just one thing I needed yeah. clarification on because we don't ever use that term over here. <laughs> At least I do. We usually call that Thursday night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so the next movie, Craven versus Devil Worshipping Doggers, and there's no such term as a Devil Worshipping Dogger. I just, I don't know. Uh, it was my weird head when I started writing the film, and I don't know why. I just said Devil Worshipping Doggers, and I, but yeah, I chuckled to myself a little bit, you know, sitting on the sofa, and went back to writing a bit more. And I don't know. And it stuck. It stuck. And uh, we even had T-shirts. Um, um, sorry, stickers printed up with that term on it, uh, the, the little phrase from the film. And I was given out a fright fest a few years ago in, in uh, London. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's funny. So the next movie we're going to do in a little bit with uh, Craven is uh, uh, it's going to have that. But I don't actually think I'm going to actually have any people filmed in the car um, uh, masturbating around people having sex. <laughs> I'm probably not going to bother with the actual doing that. But originally, in Shadow of Death, towards the end... <laughs> Um, but originally in the script of Shadow Death but at the end there was actually a bit where the cameras was going to I was going to run along the field and zoom all the way up to uh, a pair of breasts squashed against the window like Kentucky Fried Movie um, <laughs> uh, I was going to do that but it's just like I'm not going to do it it's a hassle and uh, this is like the last 15 minutes of the film where it's got a little bit more serious after the uh, some of the humorous actors of, uh, uh, the characters have been killed so I just, uh, uh, I can't let it completely from it, and I probably don't think I will ever film any, any actual doggers. Not like real life, obviously, but I'm in for uh, a fictional film. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my project. I don't do that, you know, on the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, thank you, Jamie, for bringing that up because actually I forgot to note that down, but it was a question that I had, you know, throughout the movie. I'm like, this has got to be something. I I, I meant I was even going to Google it. I'm like, maybe this is just, you know, the, again, a British term that I just I'm not familiar with yet. And uh, so that's uh, uh, now I get it. Now I get it. That's yeah, that's okay, cool. I'm cool. I'm glad I'm glad I'm actually Yeah, yeah, but a lot of a lot of great you know kills and violence, like I said in this. Another you know the uh, the binoculars. You know, was another one that was really cool, and it's just like original. You know, I've never seen you know what the one the, the paraphernalia death that Jamie mentioned, and yeah. the, the binoculars, and um, you, you know, the, it's really creative, and it kind of reminds me, you know, of what uh, Romero George Romero tries to do with a lot of his creative zombie kills, you know, in his okay. movies, and yeah. um, and so I mean, did, was that something you're you're I guess when you make a slasher, you know, there are a lot of slashers out there. So did you make like a conscious effort? You're like, I got to, um, I got to really come up with some different deaths here, some different ways of killing because, you know, we've seen a lot of slashers, you know, and so we're kind of used to a lot of, a lot of kills, um, that are knives and, you know, machetes, things like that. So I just really appreciated that. But was that something you were striving to do to make it a little different? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, Originally, because of the, uh, the originally in the script, because it, it, it changed so far from originally from uh, script writing to actually editing the film. It, it, you know, it went through so many different sort of drafts. Um, and originally it was going to be all about eyes and eyes being, um, that's, that's why I did the eye kill for the other one. That, see, now, see, it's all going <laughs> to happen. Um, it's all going to be about eyes because of seeing evil, um, because of the ending of the film, uh, without giving it away, mm. and when a person is doing what they're doing, whatever. And, it was about eyes and seeing, seeing evil. Um, but I thought, no, I can't do that, you know. Then you start thinking about things, and it's quite hard. But my effects guy, Mark Kelly, he's, um, he's quite a creative person around, and we would just go down to a pub and have a few pints and um, sit there and say, oh, what are we going to do? And what can you do? And 
we would just come up with some ideas. But that one that you said, the, the, without saying what it is, when he said that to me, I just kept repeating the two words over and over that night. And I was just like, that's the most amazing kill. He came up with the idea. <laughs> I was hoping to just push it through the head. Like, what? How, how can you push it through the head? You know? <laughs> And he would just explain to me how, how it could be done. And he would go home and just think things out. Um, uh, and and luckily enough, he was actually working for, um, uh, he was working for Brad, P- Brad Pitt's company, um, Plan B, um, yeah. on, on World War Z, doing the um, prosthetics for the zombies and stuff. Oh, wow. Which is still being, which is still about to have reshoots anyway. Oh, um, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, um, uh he was able to see how things are created and just it just helped massively with coming to us if we had a problem with that at times he could actually ask uh, colleagues who he was working with uh like you know what do you think blah 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 and they could sort of discuss it and he could sit and think of ways to do it and it, he figured out the best way of doing like a good blood mixture and stuff like that and yeah i wanted to do that there's no way i could do cgi i love the fact that people review the film and they're like oh it's amazing there's no cgi it's like i don't know how the fuck to do cgi <laughs> you know, i have no idea how do i do that you know, i've got a camcorder and a couple of guys behind me with headphones on look giving me thumbs up it's like yeah yeah i don't know what cgi is or you know it, i know sometimes it could be good and sometimes it could be really really bad but so i was just like no no let's take it old school and do it like bad taste and just just go back to that old thing and that's and that's the kind of feel i wanted for the film with like the costumes and the music and uh the look of it kind of 70s 80s horror so i couldn't have cgi and stuff so yeah we had to do it good we had to do it bloody um I don't know if it's over. I don't know if it was if I can afford to send it to the BBFC for a rating because sometimes they can be quite hard over here in England. Oh um, yeah. Well, they they they've loosened over the years since like 2000, I think, when uh, the president left or 99. Um, they released like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, then it started going from there, Exorcist, and all these different things. Um, but I know like with Serbian film and recently a new film, The Bunny Game, mm-hmm. that. Has been uh, that's just been completely banned. That they they won't even do it without any edits at all. I found this out the other night. Wow. And, um, I wouldn't know what it rating it my film would get. I don't know if it. I'd have thought an eighteen. I don't know if it'd go fifteen. Yeah, I, I would think eighteen um, for this. It's it, it, looser nowadays. It's some incredible. Hmm. Some of the films you see and like you know they are only like fifteen. You're like wow. When I was <laughs> that eighteen, you know, there's no way that would be fifteen. <laughs> Uh, I guess we are, we've got a little bit looser with it all, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'll tell you what, I was keeping my eye out for CGI. I'm just like, it's got to happen, you know. And, and I just see so many horror films anymore, and it just seems like everyone's doing it. So I'm like, at some point, I'm going to see a squirt of CGI blood here, or you know, something, uh, you know, someone's head cut off. That's obviously yeah. CGI, and I loved it because I, I got to the end of the movie. I'm like. If he did do CGI, this is some of the best I've ever seen because I could not tell it you know, from the maybe, real thing. Maybe I should tell people I did do CGI and they'd just be thinking I'm like some god. Like, That's amazing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and then someone will come along and hire you to do CGI because you did such good work on this and then you're screwed. But I wouldn't be able to do it because I don't know how to do CGI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, but I, I appreciate that because it, you were saying that, you know, it totally sells the grindhouse more of the you know kind of early 80s feel that you're going yeah. for um and uh, it, it's even funnier talking about the camera that you use because i was going to remark on on the look 
because I, I, I could have sworn you're using just like a, a, pro, a professional camera that you kind of dialed in to get this kind of look. Um, <laughs> because I could tell, I mean, the, the, it seemed like uh, it was a really quick um, shutter speed that you were using. You know, everything was really sharp and it kind of had yeah. that, that, um, that look that was very, uh, I don't want to say stuttery, but it was almost like a 28 days later sort of look where the frame rate, again, was really, uh, or the shutter speed is very fast. And so everything's very, very clear. There's little blurring things like that and uh which i think worked for this you know i, right. I like that look and um so you just didn't dial that in at all that's just kind of what the camera gave you yeah 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 totally that's the thing wow. i was saying that that's why i laughed just a minute ago I, i'm thanking you for it but i laughed because it's uh uh there's like this uh, benny hill sketch you guys know benny hill don't you oh yeah Oh yeah, I used to watch it with when i was a kid mm. <laughs> there's, there's this there's this one sketch where he's with a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's this one sketch where he's with a um, a film director. And now he is a film director, and someone's giving him an interview, and he's saying about all this stuff, and he's going, "Well, I had to do that because of so and so, and it's real f sort of funny reasons." And it's the same with this. Uh, I just got the film. If it's in focus, and I can see it, uh, great. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> that's, that's that's it. All uh, quite a lot of the takes were all one takes. Most of the time, I didn't even look back at my takes. I'll just be like, yeah, cool, move on, let's go, next one, next one, next <laughs> wow. one. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, I made it up as I went along completely, honestly. <laughs> That's amazing because there were no, like, weak shots in here. There was nothing that was, like, out of focus. There was nothing that was, like, framed weird or something or botched or, or anything. But, you know, you, man, you... I don't know if it's if it's just this is your level of skill or, man, did you just get really lucky on a lot of, a lot of regards, you know what I mean? Uh, I got really lucky because I, I'm, I'm quite... No, I'm quite... no, no. The proper answer to that is it's all talent. I've, you know, and this is years and years and years of training. And on top of that, I'm fucking brilliant. Yes. <laughs> milk it. Milk it. Don't oh, admit yeah. to that. <laughs> I, probably, I probably should. But at the same time, I, I, I want to be completely honest because I've just I've just come from like before move, starting getting into this sort of movie world. Uh, I was in the music world, DJing and making music. And I heard so many people talk so much sort of stuff and and you hear so much rubbish and things coming from people over the years it's just i just want to be completely honest as much as i can with it just so other people might think oh fuck you know i can i can get a camera and do it myself and it's like well yeah you can it isn't that hard with today's technology and i just wanted to show this and getting a 300 pound camera and just like okay it's in focus let's go wicked um it, it just worked um but I, I was always into like taking photos so i could i could kind of get a a composition shot or like a frame mm. uh, uh, steady and ha have a, like a certain slight tilt to it so it wasn't just a straight image. I'd, I'd look at things slightly differently. always had uh, have done. So it was very easy to apply that to a uh, moving image. And I used to, um, when I was like 18, I used to film skateboarding videos because I'm a skateboarder. Um, I'm actually at the beginning of the movie. I do a little trick on the skateboard. Uh, anyway, um, cool. uh, so I could film skating and... Uh, I made like a hand grip thing from two shelving units, putting them together so it looked like a, bottled them together so it was like a U shape, then put the cam, screwed the camcorder on it, then got like a bike foam grip for a bicycle, like over the top of it. So it's kind of like a, uh, uh, if you see skateboarders, they film with uh, this sort of grip, which is like a U grip sort of thing with your camera could be lowered down. Right. So I use that pretty much for everything because it was uh, only one steady, um, only one, um, 
uh, tripod shot used for the whole thing. Now it's that really long zoom shot into the woods, which goes for a really long shot. Mm. Uh, but the rest of the whole movie was handheld. Um, oh. And I just kept it moving. Robert Rodriguez in his book, Rebel About a oh. Crew, um, just uh, says, just keep the camera moving. And it's like, yeah, and since I've done that, I've seen other films where the camera stays still and it kind of gets a little boring. Not all the time. Sometimes it's great just to have, let the camera sit there. Like Tarantino. Yeah, for ages with dialogue going on for 20 minutes but like sometimes it just needs to keep moving and with this film i wasn't going to try and cut it fast for like the uh quotation mtv generation quotation uh the, the, for that editing st- uh sort of real quick chop so i figured if i kept the move thank you moving, <laughs> yeah exactly i'm not interested in that if i keep the camera moving then surely that's the same but without actually having chops but it, and it flows, it flows better, and it, it just seems to work. And that is a, a, a style I adopted straight away from filming uh, for the first stuff we filmed, and kept it through the whole movie. And I think I'm always gonna have that sort of style of filming. Uh, yeah, I yeah. love it. That's that's some great thinking. I, I'm I'm just uh, piecing this all together. But you're exactly right because your shots weren't super quick MTV kind of stuff, but. Yeah. The way you were shooting it, the handheld, and it was always moving. It it, it gave it kind of a certain amount of tension, and um, you know it really kept you a little bit kind of on the edge of your seat. You know, without just bombarding you with shots that are like five frames long a piece, and you get a million of them in a second. You know, it's yeah, yeah. It's um, wow, man, you 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 got talent here, man. I mean, this is wow. <laughs> Cheers, thank you. I, I made it all up as I went along. Yeah. Now, I, 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 did, I pretty much did, but at the same time, I came from a, a background in music, so um, I could apply that to my editing of, it, of the visual side of things. And also, um, I could apply, apply a lot of theories I've learned through music into the world of moving image, um, not with too much hassle. It, it, it went quite easily. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and you did you did the the music for this as well, um, which uh, yeah. I, I really loved. Um, now, did you do all the music? I know there was there was okay. more of the music beds going on a lot of time, but then there were actual songs that you included. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, there's a lot of um, there's a proper sort of soundtrack. There's a lot of uh, folk music, um, uh, a bit of hip hop. Uh, one hip hop song of an MC that is, and uh, a couple other things. But these are all just like my friends locally. Oh, cool. um, and they they just let me do it. Obviously, I knew I wouldn't have to pay for their rights, and they're happy to do it. We all we all we all like a pretty big community, really, and happy to give each other services and skills to other projects and stuff. And I I would for anyone else, you know. Um, so. Yeah, I did write a lot of it. But originally, one of the reasons for making the film, there's a couple of reasons. The first reason really was I wanted to write music for people's films, or score a film. Um, And I tried and tried and tried. Um, And Jamie, this is how I know you. Um, This Because I found um, out about the Living Dead Girls. It's Living Dead Girls, wasn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I contacted Shannon and said, oh, I'd like to write music for you because I was writing music for dancers already. And so, um, yeah, it basically sort of, I, I didn't get any doing stuff for you guys. And then there's a lot of other films where people are saying, yeah, you can score my film. And we have these massive email conversations for ages and all of a sudden it just stops and like they then get back to you or something. Like, and it's, I just got so fed up with it. I was like, I'm just going to write my own film so I can do the music for that. <laughs> And that's how it happened, and uh, that's yeah one of the reasons for making a film. 
Um, I just wanted to score it myself. And I, I, I scored the movie using samples from all old horror movies. Um, oh, wow. Nobody knows about this because it's, it's one of those things. It's like, well, would I tell people? But I use a lot of films which are very, very, very obscure and a lot of public domain stuff. Mm-hmm. But I would only take, say, a little bit of uh, some strings. Then I'd apply them over my keyboard. So they'd be different, uh, um, different pitches, notes and whatever. And I could just play around with it. And different octaves and things and just put it all together of like a collage of all samples so the whole thing's made out of uh, samples from old horror films pretty much oh, and, awesome. and you, won't, you won't be able to get it I'm not likely to be sued for something because I don't there's no way someone could uh, go oh that's from that 1920s movie <laughs> no way you can <laughs> you're lying you know uh, yeah so yeah I scored it and stuff and yeah uh, I, I, I found scoring it very very easy uh post-production doing the music was really easy the hardest part was probably just the mix down really but uh, but for years i've been doing music so i know how to mix anyway but then my friend manny came on board and he he we, we just really looked at it and he's he's got mad qualifications in teaching diploma music so i was like yeah you're coming on board with me and uh <laughs> we work together on stuff now which is cool um but yeah awesome. music goes hand in hand for me 50 50 uh, with film there's no way it can be any different uh you know it's just one of those things i think no, no, I am right there with you. When I made a little short, oh, well, actually, you've seen it. <laughs> no, I have um, seen it. I really dig it. I love the music. It's so comical. I loved it. It was great. Thank you. That was the only thing I paid for. That, okay. <laughs> that and craft services. And uh, I wanted to, um, I paid for it and because, and I got someone who was really reputable and, and amazing. And that was because I feel like that's how important I feel it is. Music did, drives your movie. Did they uh, did they write it themselves um, for for your short? Yeah, yeah, specifically oh, for my it, film. It, it was it was great. I I, I figured you uh, you know got the song from somewhere else because there's, there's no no no. I actually uh, approached a friend of a friend who is a composer, and I said uh, this is what I need, and he was all about it because um, that that's he wants to score movies. So when I completed the movie, I sent it to him, and he scored it right along with the movie. Um, oh. And really helped me pull together because, you know, I mean, to be honest, like I know what I wanted. I know what I, I know the sound that I was looking for. I didn't want anything just to like a grab, to grab a clip somewhere and put it on loop because I didn't feel like it would do it justice. And I, um, I have no idea how to achieve that on my own. So I'm just like, I need (laughs) help. But it was that important. You know, it really is. It's, it's, um, it can completely change the way your movie comes across. And I love the fact, one of the things that you just said that I absolutely love is that you made a movie so you could score it because that's what you wanted to do. And I think you just touched on one of the best reasons in the world for anyone to make a movie. And that's because (laughs) you want to, you know, make it because it's, it allows you to fulfill your creative needs and to complete a dream that you've had. And there is no other better reason. I applaud you for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, I just I just got so fed up with it. I was like, uh, you know, fuck it. I'll just make my own film, and uh, I'll just put the music to that. You know, I can do it. You know, <laughs> it's got like yeah, that's great. It, it was just kind of like, fuck everybody. I'm gonna do it. You know, I was in that sort of place. I, was, I wasn't happy. I was like, <laughs> like no, bollocks to it. I'm getting like, where's the pen and paper? I'm gonna write a movie. Uh, you know, and when I come when I come to do the music and score it, I just did it so quickly. I just like clicked my fingers like, here we go, scored it, and it was like it was cool because I'd I'd uh, found the samples for years and years and years. I got these old mini discs full of samples from horror movies, and um, 
uh, I will be making my debut album actually kind of soonish, and I will be using these samples again, but uh, playing around with them again and putting them in a whole different way. Um, and that was what they were originally for. But then I thought I'll put that aside and I'll make a movie, <laughs> and I'll yeah. come back to the album later. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I, I love that you did that too, and it's so creative. Uh, where you know to pull the music from those old things that you know, and some of those people could be watching it, and maybe they'll hear something that'll just click something in the back of their mind like i know that possibly, from somewhere possibly. i guess you if know. it's the sound mix or the director or producer or the editor the person that's seen the movie a million times maybe slightly possibly but i think that would be a good thing that would be really awesome to feel like i know that but i can't place it it just it would then pull you that much deeper in yeah you know? i think i think it would be a very subconscious thing where maybe you're not, yeah. you might not even be aware of it yeah, but you'll yeah, just yeah. like something will speak to you on a level you're just like i don't know what just happened but it was really cool you know exactly. and you won't be able to put your finger on it you know what i wonder if that's happened to me like maybe that explains why i love some of the movies i love they've been yeah, subliminally yeah. forcing me to do it uh, <laughs> that, yeah that's not a bad idea so i think right Subliminal messages to audience, great. Uh, but yeah. you, they do that in pop, mu in pop music, though. You get it. Uh, you, yeah. Get, yeah. Um, you get some, you know, uh, I don't know who, I don't even listen to pop music anymore. Say, say Christian Aguilera, you might get a song. Oh, no, okay, great one. Alicia Keys did a, her first song, Fallen. I think it's called Fallen. There's a little bit in it where some notes happen, and not recent, not that long ago, I was listening to James Brown, and I was just like, hang on. And there's these little note bits, and they haven't they haven't like sampled it, but they're playing it as well. And it's just those little things. So you go, oh, and why does this feel so, you know, so like it's already been ingrained in my head before? And this is the reason. So yeah, it's a good idea of movies, and I expect it is done to different degrees and capacities. I expect with different things, but yeah, it probably does. You know, what I, just, you know what I just noticed right now. I don't know, Corey. Did you notice how how passionate and excited he got just now when he was talking about music that's awesome I, I did i did i love that i love that and it's when you find that one thing that just really like i mean you know you've been you've been amazing period so far but then like when you started talking about music you could hear it in your voice like it was just revving you up and i yeah. love we can touch on that with someone you know i want to find out what makes people really tick and get into what they're doing yes and i think yeah. it's obvious right there <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, I didn't even think about it, but I suppose, yeah, I did start getting off one bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think music is very important. It always has been. I've been DJing for, like, years, then started making, like, hip-hop and stuff, and uh, that, that's how I found out about sampling. Then just really took it to another level, then realised, someone said to me, someone sort of in the industry said to me, why don't you do music for movies? And, and it was, like, such a no-brainer. It's like, for God's sake, yeah. I've been watching movies for so long now. It's like, of course, music for movies. It's like, you know... And this is where, and now we're sitting here today, listening, talking about the film that I made because of these. Probably this person once upon a time said that to me. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty that crazy. Was me. Yeah. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> like fifteen years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, um, I have this little movie that I was making. This little short. Um, and it was the whole gist behind it was I just wanted to see if I could make a one man movie where I did everything in the movie. I acted all the parts. I did all the camera like nobody else had any involvement at all. Um, did, did, you, did you have to talk to yourself and stuff? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, nice. Amazing. Did you have different costumes and things? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I grew I actually grew a beard. <laughs> um, for for the because I I'm like I have to figure out ways to make myself look different enough 
you know? Uh-huh. And I so I played four roles in one of my movies once. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So I grew a beard and literally once I finally, I'm like, okay, this is where I want it. I'm going to shoot the scene today. And so I set everything up. I shot the first part of it, you know, with my character who is bearded. And then I literally ran upstairs, shaved off my beard. And I'm like, I hope I don't have to, you know, at, at this point, I don't do retakes of that part. You know, I hope that's going to come out all right. And left the camera set exactly where it was, came back down, shot the other half of it, you know. And I was talking to myself, you know, which was really, really <laughs> surreal. Um, you, but it's you missed a the trick. You missed a trick, though. Why didn't you just have half your face with a beard on, then the other half not? So you're talking to yourself. You just crit- oh, man. That is brilliant. Jump 180, say the other line, jump 180 again. It's like perfect. Not that much film would have been used. Everything, great. Oh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I never thought of that. Okay, that's going to be my next one. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. now I want to see that. Did you, is this around? I want to see that. Well, here's the thing. Um, I, I know how much audio is to any production at all and it's critical and i'm very much a perfectionist everything just has to be as good as i can possibly get it and so while i was shooting this um it was right before i had my son and so i had got all the shooting done edited together but i I, i'm like i'm just going to do all the audio in post it's all just going to be adr'd which wasn't a big deal because there weren't actually that many lines in it everything else was a lot of screaming and foley effects and stuff so you know no big deal well, so I got this thing edited together. My son's born. And then all of a sudden, I have to be really, really quiet at all hours during the day. <laughs> so literally, I can't do anything. It sat on the shelf for months. And I tried to do things. I, I tried to you know, get some sound effects. And I tried to do some Foley things myself. And then I tried to do some of the lines. And it was just not coming out. I mean, everything, just because of the, the pace of my life at that point, I had to just do things quickly. I didn't have, a, like, I didn't have hours at a time to spend on this stuff you know i could only sit down for maybe a half an hour at a time to figure any of this out and um i've just not been happy with any of it even down to the scoring of it um i'm 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 a musician myself i I played lots of stuff and i love recording and and uh i'm just not happy with any of my scoring i'm just maybe it's maybe it's just not me um so i'll turn off the sound but i want to it's (laughs) i'll make it a silent film maybe at this point i'll i'll Put, make it black and white and put up the title cards in between, you know, every so often. <laughs> piano music, you know, I'll get, I'll rip piano music off of some public domain. Yeah, yeah, um, well, you, well, you probably could do, but it's go, not a bad this idea. Is, go, well, go back to it, go back to it and just apply less is more, just like, don't, don't bombard it, just like really simply just get in there and just do a little thing, so, you know, and it'll probably work out easy if you're really not trying and you just let it come. Yeah, uh, I know that sometimes Let doesn't happen. Come. Sometimes writer's block is writer's block, and when that happens, that happens, you know. And uh, it's one of those things. But sometimes, you, you know, if you don't push it, it will probably come easier. Yeah, maybe I'm trying too hard, but uh, <laughs> that's, but I and then I, you know, talking to you, Gav, man, it just like it all came so easy to you, you know, and uh, it just seemed like you just had a great uh, time with it, and so that's you know, again, it's a learning thing for me, so maybe it's not exactly my thing um but it's obvious it's you got you have a knack for all this stuff man well yes and no because i was using samples so that's easy but if i ever come to actually writing stuff because i did actually have songs in there which i've written as well like some of the songs with the synth lines like the uh when the girls get chased through the woods before i gets plucked out that sort of stuff that stuff's not too bad because it's kind of uh repetitive looping type things which i can do which i'm related to with hip-hop because that's what it is yeah. but when it comes to actually applying like music theory and stuff i'll have a few notes which i dig 
then nothing else. And I'll be like, well, what do I do? Okay, I can go up a couple of octaves and play another instrument on top of it, but I don't really know stuff. So um, you're probably better at me than doing like uh, uh, music theory if you play instruments. Where oh, I'm, just, no. I'm just using samples and just like doing computers music cheating you know, oh, I, I know nothing about theory. I mean, I know very little about theory. Like I know a couple scales and stuff, but I don't know, you know, oh, that's a Mixolydian. No, you should go, you know, you know I don't, I don't know. Um, I just play. If it sounds good, it sounds good. If it doesn't sound, if it sounds shit, it sounds shit. That's the way it is. Yeah. There's nothing. In between, you know, you got to be able to know what shit and what's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But yeah. uh, no, and it, I just do a lot of playing around and experimentation and. You know, every once in a while I happen to hit something that's good, but, you know, 99% of the time that's not the case. But every once in a while, you know, you get something listenable and, and cool, uh, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And uh, so. See, I just know the visuals will be really good because I, I just from watching your 2D show, you know, we talked uh, about this the other night. <laughs> I know it would be because you put a lot of effort into everything you do. So I know that that you probably put a lot of effort in that, too. Yeah. So. Uh, no. we'll see. I think you should go for it. I think you should finish it. I got to revisit this thing. It's it's been so long. I mean, my son's going to be two here in a few months, so this is yeah. how long it's been. Just I will come up there. there and crack the whip if I have to. Oh yeah, boy, good. good things come to those who wait. Like your <laughs> yeah, all yeah. your audience, all your audience now knows about this. So yeah, gonna, you're trapped. <laughs> you're stuck. You've got to do it. This is why <laughs> I've never talked about it before. So now I'm kind of accountable for this. You know, it's you're like. Awesome. I, you're like 80 percent of the way through you've just got to do the music and then just mix it then you're like okay cool there you go <laughs> do it do it yeah just do it <sighs> you're so cute i love it he's so supportive he's like, I, do it. <laughs> you guys you guys are awesome I, I appreciate the encouragement especially you know gav again from you that's made a great movie here and everything you know telling me to go for it that means a lot and jamie you know you're you're a filmmaker and you do stuff with film all the time and uh, just all this encouragement is very overwhelming. And now I just want to just, see you uh, with the, the half beard, half beard, half face. Yes. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of growing another beard now. So this might be actually uh, kind of. I noticed that on 2D. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's my winter beard. You know, I got to grow it in, you know, before the snow hits. But uh, yeah, uh, no, but uh, oh, man, man. Oh, what else? What else? About that? Oh. <laughs> Quit talking about me. This isn't about me. This is supposed to be about you, Gav. It's, oh, yeah. uh, Gav, uh, what else, honey? What, um, <laughs> tell us about what else you've got coming up, because I know you've got some stuff coming up. Let's talk about it. Okay, yeah. Um, well, with the movie as it is at the moment, Shadow of Death just kind of getting reviews and doing things, I figured, well, being also broke, being like a broke director, really, is like, what can you do uh, with not much money, which is easy to do, and that's writing movies. So um, me and Dan Bone, who plays Craven, the policeman in Shadow of Death, um, we are writing, uh, well, we have written a zombie flick um, called Asbo. Um, uh, that's with a Z. Um, Asbo's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a thing that used to, over here, it finished a couple of years ago when like uh, youths are out in public at night time being a nuisance. Uh, the police would come along and give them like a warning, and it's called an ASBO. Um, and so basically, it's a zombie movie set on like a house and estate, and with what happens really, with it's kind of like the Goonies meets the Burbs meets 
a zombie movie. I don't want to say Shaun of the Dead because you did, it's so hard to make an English zombie film without someone saying along the line somewhere. <laughs> Corey the, says that all the time. That's my pet peeve anymore. Of, of, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's impossible. Yes, it's yeah. an amazing good movie. And it's, it's a great movie. I love watching that over and over. It's it's just got English humour really. like They got they nailed it and they did again with Hot Fuzz. Hmm. And I'm sure they will with The World's End as well. But um, it's 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 hard to do that without someone saying the Shaun of the Dead. But I'm I so when writing the script we were like, okay, let's stay away from the Shaun of the Dead. So we've tried to stay away from the best we can but still have humour. And it's like a bunch of kids, so kind of like the Goonies. If the Goonies met the zombies on a house and estate in England, if you can imagine that. Um but that's a big project. That's gonna that's gonna cost uh a, a bit more than Shadow of Death because it's gonna have to be like a big uh, location and a lot of stuff, a lot of extras, a lot of things going on, and we're leaving that for one day. Um, it's a big project, and I, I, I'd love to do it. Um, but yeah, it's big. But that's finished. That script's completely finished. We're done. Done with that. You know, that's locked away. Um, we've written another one called Insecurity, about two security guards and what happens to them uh, on a night at their reception desk and just the stuff that happens. It's set on Halloween as well. All these things which happen to them on Halloween and there's going to be no really swearing in it and no blood and gore. And it's just going to be pretty much built up on tension and just things happening. And that's, I'm hopefully going to go into pre-production in January with that, with Dan. And we're going to try and do that because I reckon I could film that in a week and do it really quickly. It's kind of like a... A sort of precinct 13 type thing but different um kind of like with reservoir dogs set in one location so cool. yeah that's that um then obviously craven versus the devil worshiping doggers hopefully next yes. summer but it depends and how I, now i know what that means <laughs> yep and that's basically a sidestep sequel to the shadow of death it's following craven and what happened to him <laughs> Um, even, uh, even, even though something happens to him where you know he shouldn't be able to walk away, uh, and it's it's completely ridiculous. But that's what kind of Craven the Craven film is, and it's going to be a kind of eighties action kung fu kung fu horror type flick. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I loved his character though, and I'm so excited about that. That was one of the things I first said to you was that I really want to see more with this character. Yeah, but, because I just, he could have sustained an entire movie on his own. Well, yeah, exactly. You, you and David said, and also other people, other reviews have said that it, it's a good character, but it seems a little bit out of place in the movie. And I, I didn't realize this when I was doing it, but my wife said to me, I don't know if you get away with an actual straight policeman. Um, so we're like, okay, uh, let's change it for this crazy guy who thinks he's a policeman. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we just made some shit up and it, and it, it worked. Um, but yeah, it's such a ridiculous character. And Dan helped me write that, his his character for that. And it worked really well. And we're like, okay, uh, this is how... I, I didn't know how you write with someone. I had no idea. Because Shadow of Death's the first thing I've ever written. So um, uh, we started writing and he'd have a laptop. And I, I just paced around the room back and forwards and uh, ranting and shouting out words to him and things we should do. And he just tops it all down. And we, we just get together and just have these little strange meetings. But uh, yeah, it works well. And... That's what we're doing, hopefully. So come January, I'll start a new movie, I hope. I love should... that. He, he was he was probably my favorite character as well. And <laughs> it's weird for saying, you know, and I can see maybe, you know, if people say, well, maybe it was a little out of place, you know, and, and yeah. stuff. And it, I, I, I could see that, but I was just so entertained. It, it really didn't matter to me. Um, 
But uh, what's funny is, you know, for a guy, he's not uh, the central character in, in the film by any means. Yeah. Um, but he's like the most developed. I mean, you get you get some backstory on him. He steals the show. Really. Oh, yeah. And you, you, you care about him. And, and you, Jamie's right. I mean, I want to know a lot more about this guy. Like, I want to see him do some more crazy stuff. You know, well, exactly. Then, exactly. We didn't realize it, but when we started writing it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's got has got a proper backstory." It's like this is crazy. He's an actor. He's got more of a. He has probably the only backstory. I don't think the other guys really have. You got like the odd things they say in sentences where it might uh, show a bit of their history, possibly, and like what they're like and in, in the way they are. But but no, he's got the full backstory, and it's just it's. <laughs> But if I if I took him out though, the movie'd probably be like sixty five minutes or something. I was like, I'm not having a feature for sixty five minutes. It's oh, not happening. <laughs> so no, I no, don't take him out. Don't take him out. No. I mean, I, I, I loved it's, it. You know, well, it's, it's not intru- he's not an intrusive uh, uh, nature in the film. If anything, yeah, he brings a bit of comic relief, even though there is comic relief already there with the Dan character. But uh, yeah, he does. He does make it quite funny and he is a strange character himself and there's actually a, a page on facebook you can um craven the super special cop i think it's called uh, yes what? oh my god i'm, I'm there I, I can't believe you didn't tell me <laughs> just just go to, just go to facebook and search craven it probably <laughs> and obviously that name came from where's craven i was just like right i need a name right where's craven craven wicked that dude <laughs> here he is i just brought it up now craven too, the super special too. cop I'm gonna like it before you do. Like, <laughs> that's exactly it. Uh, okay, well, think about the main characters. The main characters you got what? Jamie, uh, Deborah, and, and Nancy. So uh, look at look at a uh, poster for Halloween, and you'll see those three names. You're like, okay. <laughs> wow. I, I I looked up uh, above my computer when I was typing. I was like, uh, okay, Deborah. Uh, oh, Jamie and uh, Nancy for um, the producer. So uh, yeah, I just uh, uh, yeah, I did it like that. It was that simple. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh I love it. I love it. This is great. I I can't wait yeah, for that. Uh, so that's... glad that I could be an inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, it is you, it's Jamie. It's got it's got me, Jamie. It has to be. <laughs> Uh, no, and, but that's not to take away from any of the other uh, actors in this. I thought acting was incredibly strong in this movie across the board. I mean, um, I think you know my my next favorite character would be Dan because he just he's a riot man. I'm just yeah, well, uh, uh, he's actually going to be uh, Bruce, the main character in the Insecurity, as one of the security guards. Um, because uh, I really liked, I, I love working with everybody, all cast and crew. But um, I, I really like work with him. He's a comedian. He does a lot of stuff up in London. And I, I didn't even actually uh, give him an audition. It was a case of, I, I could see from his pictures and talking to him on the phone, I was like, I just know he's going to be absolutely fine. It's like you can sort of feel with people sometimes. I was like, no, he's great. And I was like, you've got to play this next character. So I've got to yet yeah, send him the script for the new movie. But yeah, he's, he's, he's going to play it and stuff. But yeah, he's good. All the acting was amazing because... Um, uh, Dan uh, Bone, who played Craven, he only done a little thing. The other guys had done stuff, a few things here and there. And, uh, yeah, the acting was really great. And it was quite hard because I was directing and also filming. So at times I'm worrying about the camera being in focus. Uh, I'm not. I'm kind of missing the actual uh, delivery from the guys at times. Mm. And I, I'm not even knowing, you know, that if, if a line's been dropped in the script and I haven't noticed, luckily I had someone there who could, like, read the, through the script and go, okay, yeah, yeah, they missed that line. I go, oh, shit, okay, right, film that again. I wasn't even noticing because I'm worrying too much about filming. That's, that's the only trouble with doing so many roles. 
Um, yeah. Even though I plan on filming and directing again and probably doing all the same roles again because it, it's quite easy to do it yourself sometimes. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, they, I'm glad that most of their stuff is really good. You get the odd, odd takes where it's just like one person didn't seem as comfortable in that take, so it's like, okay, cool. That's when you just cut, though. You cut to another shot. Uh, I just film the same scene like five times with different shots. I do each shot, each person close up, uh, doing the same, uh, the same lines and stuff. Then I'd go back and I'd just, I knew the flow of who said what, so I'd get the camera and just move it back and forwards without cutting once and go through each character. So sometimes I use those takes in the movie. Um, and they look nice. They're those Tarantino type shot takes where the camera just flows to one person, to the next person, to the next, and keeps on going and going mm -hmm. and going. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, all their deliveries and everything is really good. I was really happy with the acting and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was a, a good call for that. And being that you, you know, you did a lot of different angles and stuff, and and yeah. the angles, a lot of times that you did use were really good. And you, you touched on this before, where you just don't put it on a tripod, you just don't do an eye level shot the whole time. You know, just a That's standard amazing. boring thing. I mean, I loved, um, you know, even the the phone conversation. You know, wherever. Um, was it Nancy is calling Dan I think for the first time and asking you know if she can score some weed and and uh, yeah. it's just a close-up of her mouth um, <laughs> you know I just love it uh, the reason the reason I did that that was the same day we did just that whole loft sequence at the beginning where the camera's moving over her hands afterwards I was like oh shit I've got to film that <laughs> before she left <laughs> and uh, I, I just said uh, well I can't film you well the what What's behind you looks rubbish. Okay, I'll just film your lips. That's cool. That'll do. And, and it's just like you do it on the fly. You just make stuff up and it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then you learn from your mistakes next time you, do, you don't do that. So, you know. Um, oh, this worked, man. Whether you meant for it or not, you know, to, to happen this way, it, uh, yeah, it came yeah. together. I think those, uh, the, the film gods may have helped, uh, may have been looking down on me a little bit. I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to uh, sound big-headed or give it praise, but I can look at the film from an outside perspective now um, and kind of ignore it as my own thing and try and look at it. When you watch it with an audience, you can always like uh, almost delve into their consciousness as a group and watch it with them and almost laugh at the jokes with them and stuff. Um, and yeah, I can look at it and think, yeah, it's, 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 it's an all right movie. It's not, it's not, it's not shit. Uh, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you should be proud of it. Um, Thank you. So Jamie, uh, you got anything else for, for Gav here today? Uh, I think I've squeezed him dry. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I do have one more thing, but I want to. I want to see if you got. Uh, I just have mm, one more little question. Oh, I, he answered everything I think I had, um, but I do want to tell you that I really appreciate you agreeing to talk with us because I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you guys doing this because um, this is another thing with having a very low budget film. It's it's hard to you know, uh, get out there. And my marketing skills are not really the best. That was how I, I lacked when I did music and as a DJ and stuff. I just I'd never put myself out there much. But with things like Power Facebook and, like, um, yeah, Power Facebook and people are coming on board and knowing it. There's a guy called Alex in Germany who I've never even met. He got 2,500 flyers printed out uh, by his friend, posted them to him, and he, he uh, handed out 500 at a film festival in Germany recently. Uh, fantasy film festival and he did that for free for nothing he just did it because he loves the film and it's like that's just amazing like the horror community is just so good and um, so yeah so what like with you guys as well thank you for doing this because it just helps get the movie out there and maybe um i'm, I'm gonna always make movies anyway regardless if uh, if i have the money or i don't have the movie i think now i quite enjoy doing it and i'm gonna do it now while i still find it 
uh, quite a fun thing before I end up getting bored of making films after six or seven going, no, I'm not doing that anymore, no, I'm going to do some other crazy thing. Um, but yeah, but thanks to you guys for, you know, letting me come on. Absolutely. Well, I know uh, it's my pleasure to, to be doing this and just knowing, man, I'm talking with a, with a guy whose movie I really enjoyed. It uh, just makes it really, really cool and I uh, had a great time. Now, the one last thing that I had had for you here, and it's just it was kind of at the bottom of my notes here, and I, I kind of, whenever we were talking about this kind of thing before, I, I just missed it. But uh, Dan has a line in the movie. Uh, I, I believe at this point they're in the cabin and they're all kind of talking about, you know, this figure that, they're, that they've seen in the woods. Um, and um, Dan mentions he, the movie Scream and yeah. how, the, how lame was that uh, killer's <laughs> costume uh, in Scream. Now, was that something that you wrote in there and maybe it's something that you were, you know, trying to, trying to work in as kind of your own little stab there? Or was that something that maybe Dan came up with? Or I'm, I'm sorry, not Dan, with the no. actor's name, but... Uh, yeah, no, no, his name is Dan as well. Uh, oh, oh. All right. It was quite easy for him to not get into the character because his name's Dad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did. I did definitely do that because I wanted them film to be kind of realistic. I don't like films which kind of don't take or take themselves too seriously and don't really think, you know, come on, that's just not going to happen. Like, I know with films, obviously, it's a, it's a fantasy anyway. But I wanted, the costume isn't that great in The Shadow of Death. It isn't like an amazing costume. It's nothing, not really original uh you know and so i kind of wanted to come across that but then i was thinking what's kind of close to it and i was like well the costume is screen but i love the screen films i'm a huge fan of those films um and what they did originally when they sort of you know brought horror back a little bit to like the mainstream audience which gave more money towards other productions and and helped out things uh ever since but um uh yeah uh, so i did yeah i did write it in because it is it is yeah ghostface is a little bit shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah amazing it is a bit shit uh so uh, <laughs> but do you know how many of those costumes they sold in the 90s you know oh, after scream it's, came it's out sure. it's yeah, a gold yeah. mine you know yeah totally i'm sure they made a lot of money because that was just a, a costume they got off like a, a store i think or just a, a any sort of random horror store oh, yeah. so yeah. i don't yeah. think it's i don't think they had it and like patented it as their own uh you know product or whatever so uh yeah i'm sure a lot of people <laughs> made some money off that but yeah it's not the best thing so i was like yeah uh, I'm just going to drop that line in there. So, yeah, I, I did. Loved it. I loved it. I, I appreciated that. Um, again, you know, paying homage to a lot of really cool movies. And today, just talking about it, we've brought up a lot of really, really cool elements about this. But we've left a lot untalked about, left un, you know, a lot unspoiled because yeah. there's a lot to be had here. And it's a, it's a really fun movie. So um, if this happens to be at a festival that anyone listening to right now that you're near, uh, you got to see it. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, there are a lot of people out there listening who know of festivals. And there are a lot out there right now that are, are free of charge. Uh, Let for me know. Entry. And <laughs> I do. I have a couple I can uh, I can throw your way, definitely. And, um, you know, so if anybody else listening out there, um, I think it's really important that this film gets out there and gets a lot of exposure. And, uh, you know, just uh, whatever we can do, you know, to, to help you out, man, and uh, to get this out Thank there. You. I definitely want to. So. Cheers. I appreciate it. Uh, yes, yesterday, quickly, I was um, on Dread Central, and I uh, saw that we've been selected for uh, a film festival, which is a killer film festival, but it's an online film festival. Uh, I don't know how that works. Uh, presumably, you just buy tickets like you would at a film festival, and you can watch a bunch of movies, but you can just do it sitting at home, I guess. Um, so uh, 
yeah, if people do want to see it, that is actually going to be happening at some point soon. So just look up. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, it's just look up Killer Film Festival. Um, so yeah, you could probably watch it through there, I guess. Yeah, that's that's great. I've I've heard of a lot of those. I've never um, actually experienced yeah. one myself, but uh, yeah. I look forward to it. I can I can sit at home. Like, I can just sit here naked watching movies at a film festival. Oh yeah. Not saying I could do it at a film festival really. Well, I could do it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a but, bit, uh, that wouldn't be special. That's how I always watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark. Hey, that's yeah. No, oh, but uh, no, that's really cool. I'll definitely uh, dig some of these out here for you. And uh, I'm just uh, yeah. I, I would love to see this on like a big screen, though. You know what I mean? There's there's nothing nothing yeah. like seeing it. Uh, oh, of course. That, yeah. uh, with, with, a good, with a good audience as well. Yeah. 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 So. Gav, man, it, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you once again. And, of course, you know, your uh, the website for the movie and anything else, uh, any other links that you'd like for me to post, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to if you want to send them over. Um, Thank you. And, uh, yeah, we'll be looking for this uh, out there sometime, hopefully in the near future. And, uh, man, let's do this again. What, I, I'm looking forward to your next stuff, so I, I hope we can I, talk do, again. Do, one day, one day, just we'll do it again, but we'll do a spoiler one. And you can just go, you can ask anything about the film, really, I guess. Do something like that if you wanted to. Beautiful. I think that would be awesome. And I know David still wants to talk to you. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's a shame we haven't got David as well. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to do that again. Yeah. I'm, always, I'm always happy to talk about horror movies in general as well. Awesome. I'm going to I'm gonna take you up on that then. Uh, because I, I just love talking with uh, great people about horror. And uh, Jamie knows this. I mean, we can just <laughs> go on and on and on just about yeah, stuff. Because yeah, yeah, we have so yeah, much yeah. fun. We do. We do, we do. Um, it's endless. It's endless. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I forgot to give a shout out to David because he did intend to be with us uh, here today, but uh, he had some stuff going on because I had to cancel this whole thing once because of craziness going on here. And uh, David, unfortunately, couldn't join us today. But uh, he is he's here in spirit. I know he really digs it, too, and he wishes he could yeah. talk with you. But uh, yeah. all right, man. Well, have a great uh, rest of your weekend here, and um, let's do this again. Okay, cheers. Yeah, Thanks. and uh, let us know anything, anytime anything exciting happens with it, let us know and we'll give it a shout out. Yeah, yeah. If, if it gets picked up on distribution, uh, hopefully it will do. If not, I will probably DIY it and do it myself, I guess. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know. So yeah, thank you very much. Awesome. Yay. Okay. <laughs> the Damned Thing by Ambrose Bierce. Chapter 1. One does not always eat what is on the table. By the light of a tallow candle which had been placed on one end of a rough table, a man was reading something written in a book. It was an old account book, greatly worn, and the writing was not, apparently, very legible, for the man sometimes held the page close to the flame of the candle to get a stronger light on it. The shadow of the book would then throw into obscurity half of the room, darkening a number of faces and figures. For besides the reader, eight other men were present. Seven of them sat against the rough log walls, silent, motionless, and the room being small, not very far from the table. By extending an arm, any one of them could have touched the eighth man, who lay on the table, face upward, partly covered by a sheet, his arms at his sides. He was dead. The man with the book was not reading aloud, and no one spoke. All seemed to be waiting for something to occur. The dead man only was without expectation. From the blend darkness outside came in, through the aperture that served for a window, all the ever unfamiliar noises of night in the wilderness, the long nameless note of a distant coyote, the drone of great blundering beetles, and all that mysterious chorus of small sounds that seem always to have been but half heard when they have suddenly ceased, as if conscious of an indiscretion. 
but nothing of all this was noted in that company. Its members were not overmuch addicted to idle interest in matters of no practical importance. That was obvious in every line of their rugged faces. Obvious even in the dim light of the single candle. They were evidently men of the vicinity, farmers and woodsmen. The person reading was a trifle different. One would have said of him that he was of the world, worldly, albeit there was that in his attire which attested a certain fellowship with the organisms of his environment. His coat would hardly have passed muster in San Francisco. His footgear was not of urban origin, and the hat that lay by him on the floor, he was the only one uncovered, was such that if one had considered it an article of mere personal adornment, he would have missed its meaning. In countenance, the man was rather prepossessing, with just a hint of sternness, though that he may have assumed or cultivated, as appropriate to one in authority. For he was a coroner. It was by virtue of his office that he had possession of the book in which he was reading. It had been found among the dead man's effects, in his cabin, where the inquest was now taking place. When the coroner had finished reading, he put the book into his breast pocket. At that moment, the door was pushed open and a young man entered. He clearly was not of mountain birth and breeding, he was clad as those who dwell in cities. His clothing was dusty, however, as from travel. He had, in fact, been riding hard to attend the inquest. The coroner nodded. No one else greeted him. We have waited for you, said the coroner. It is necessary to have done with this business tonight. The young man smiled. I am sorry to have kept you, he said. I went away not to evade your summons, but to post to my newspaper an account of what I suppose I am called back to relate. The coroner smiled. The account that you posted to your newspaper, he said, differs probably from that which you will give here under oath. That, replied the other, rather hotly and with a visible flush, is as you please. I used manifold paper and have a copy of what I sent. It was not written as news, for it is incredible, but as fiction. It may go as part of my testimony under oath. But you say it is incredible. That is nothing to you, sir, if I also swear that it's true. The coroner was silent for a time, his eyes upon the floor. The men about the sides of the cabin talked in whispers, but seldom withdrew their gaze from the face of the corpse. Presently, the coroner lifted his eyes and said, We will resume the inquest. The men removed their hats. The witness was sworn. What is your name? the coroner asked. William Harker. Age? 27. You knew the deceased, Hugh Morgan? Yes. You were with him when he died? Near him. How did that happen? Your presence, I mean. I was visiting him at his place to shoot and fish. A part of my purpose, however, was to study him and his odd, solitary way of life. He seemed a good model for a character in fiction. I sometimes write stories. I sometimes read them. Thank you. Stories in general, not yours. Some of the jurors laughed. Against a somber background, humor shows high lights. Soldiers in the intervals of battle laugh easily and a jest in the death chamber conquers by surprise. Relate the circumstances of this man's death, said the coroner. You may use any notes or memoranda that you please. The witness understood. Pulling a manuscript from his breast pocket, he held it near the candle, and, turning the leaves until he had found the passage that he wanted, began to read. Chapter 2. What May Happen in a Field of Wild Oats The sun had hardly risen when we left the house. We were looking for quail, each with a shotgun, but we only had one dog. Morgan said that our best ground was beyond a certain ridge that he pointed out, and we crossed it by a trail through the chaparral. On the other side was comparatively level ground, thickly covered with wild oats. As we emerged from the chaparral, Morgan was but a few yards in advance. Suddenly, we heard, at a little distance to our right and partly in front, 
a noise as of some animal thrashing about in the bushes, which we could see were violently agitated. We've started a deer, I said. I wish we had brought a rifle. Morgan, who had stopped and was intently watching the agitated chaparral, said nothing, but had cocked both barrels of his gun and was holding it in readiness to aim. I thought him a trifle excited, which surprised me, for he had a reputation for exceptional coolness even in the moments of sudden and imminent peril. Oh, come, I said, you're not going to fill up a deer with quail shot, are you? Still, he did not reply. But catching sight of his face as he turned it slightly toward me, I was struck by the intensity of his look. Then I understood that we had serious business in hand, and my first conjecture was that we had jumped a grizzly. I advanced to Morgan's side, cocking my piece as I moved. The bushes were now quiet and the sounds had ceased, but Morgan was as attentive to the place as before. "'What is it? What the devil is it?' I asked. "'That damned thing!' he replied, without turning his head. His voice was husky and unnatural. He trembled visibly. I was about to speak further when I observed the wild oats near the place of the disturbance moving in the most inexplicable way. I can hardly describe it. It seemed as if stirred by a streak of wind, which not only bent it, but pressed it down, crushed it so that it did not rise, and this movement was slowly prolonging itself directly toward us. Nothing that I had ever seen had affected me so strangely as this unfamiliar and unaccountable phenomenon, yet I am unable to recall any sense of fear. I remember, and tell it here because, singularly enough, I recollected it then, that once in looking carelessly out of an open window I momentarily mistook a small tree close at hand for one of a group of larger trees at a little distance away. It looked the same size as the others, but being more distinctly and sharply defined in mass and detail seemed out of harmony with them. It was a mere falsification of the law of aerial perspective, but it startled, almost terrified me. We still rely upon the orderly operation of familiar, natural laws, that any seeming suspension of them is noted as a menace to our safety, as warning of unthinkable calamity. So now the apparent causeless movement of the herbage and the slow, undeviating approach of the line of disturbance were distinctly disquieting. My companion appeared actually frightened, and I could hardly credit my senses when I saw him suddenly throw his gun to his shoulder and fire both barrels at the agitated grain. Before the smoke had cleared away, I heard a loud, savage cry, a scream like that of a wild animal. And flinging his gun upon the ground, Morgan sprang away and ran swiftly from the spot. At the same instant, I was thrown violently to the ground by the impact of something unseen in the smoke, some soft, heavy substance that seemed thrown against me with great force. Before I could get upon my feet and recover my gun, which seemed to have been struck from my hands, I heard Morgan crying out, as if in mortal agony, and mingling with his cries were such hoarse, savage sounds as one hears from fighting dogs. Inexpressibly terrified, I struggled to my feet and looked in the direction of Morgan's retreat. And may heaven and mercy spare me from another sight like that. At a distance of less than thirty yards was my friend, down upon one knee, his head thrown back at a frightful angle, hatless, his long hair in disorder, and his whole body in violent movement from side to side, backward and forward. His right arm was lifted, and seemed to lack the hand, at least I could see none. The other arm was invisible. At times, as my memory now reports this extraordinary scene, I could discern but a part of his body. It was as if he had been partly blotted out. I cannot otherwise express it. Then a shifting of his position would bring it all into view again. All this must have occurred within a few seconds. Yet in that time, Morgan assumed all the postures of a determined wrestler vanquished by superior weight and strength. I saw nothing but him, and not always distinctly. 
During the entire incident, his shouts and curses were heard, as if through an enveloping uproar of such sounds of rage and fury as I had never heard from the throat of a man or brute. For a moment only, I stood irresolute. Then throwing down my gun, I ran forward to my friend's assistance. I had a vague belief that he was suffering from a fit or some form of convulsion. Before I could reach his side, he was down and quiet. All sounds had ceased, but with a feeling of such terror as even these awful events had not inspired, I now saw again the mysterious movement of the wild oats, prolonging itself from the trampled area about the prostrate man toward the edge of a wood. It was only when it had reached the wood that I was able to withdraw my eyes and look at my companion. He was dead. Chapter 3 A Man Though Naked May Be in Rags The coroner rose from his seat and stood beside the dead man. Lifting an edge of the sheet, he pulled it away, exposing the entire body, altogether naked and showing in the candlelight a clay-like yellow. It had, however, broad maculations of bluish-black, obviously caused by extravasated blood from contusions. The chest and sides looked as if they had been beaten with a bludgeon. There were dreadful lacerations. The skin was torn in strips and shreds. The coroner moved round to the end of the table and undid a silk handkerchief, which had been passed under the chin and knotted at the top of the head. When the handkerchief was drawn away, it exposed what had been the throat. Some of the jurors, who had risen to get a better view, repented their curiosity and turned away their faces. Witness Harker went to the open window and leaned out across the sill, faint and sick. Dropping the handkerchief upon the dead man's neck, the coroner stepped to an angle of the room and from a pile of clothing produced one garment after another, each of which he held up a moment for inspection. All were torn and stiff with blood. The jurors did not make a closer inspection. They seemed rather uninterested. They had, in truth, seen all this before, the only thing that was new to them being Harker's testimony. Gentlemen, the coroner said, we have no more evidence, I think. Your duty has been already explained to you. If there is nothing you wish to ask, you may go outside and consider your verdict. The foreman rose, a tall, bearded man of sixty, coarsely clad. I shall like to ask one question, Mr. Coroner, he said. What asylum did this, your last witness, escape from? Mr. Harker, said the coroner gravely and tranquilly, from what asylum did you last escape? Harker flushed crimson again, but said nothing, and the seven jurors rose and solemnly filed out of the cabin. If you have done insulting me, sir, said Harker, as soon as he and the officer were left alone with the dead man, I suppose I am at liberty to go? Yes. Harker started to leave, but paused, with his hand on the door latch. The habit of his profession was strong in him, stronger than his sense of personal dignity. He turned about and said, The book you have there, I recognize it as Morgan's diary. You seemed greatly interested in it. You read in it while I was testifying. May I see it? The public would like... The book will cut no figure in this matter, replied the official, slipping it into his coat pocket. All the entries in it were made before the writer's death. As Harker passed out of the house, the jury re-entered and stood about the table, on which the now-covered corpse showed under the sheet with sharp definition. The foreman seated himself near the candle, produced from his breast pocket a pencil and a scrap of paper, and wrote rather laboriously the following verdict, which, with various degrees of effort, all signed. We, the jury, do find that the remains come to their death at the hands of a mountain lion, but some of us thinks, all the same, they had fits. Chapter 4. An Explanation from the Tomb In the diary of the late Hugh Morgan were certain interesting entries having possibly a scientific value as suggestions. At the inquest upon his body, the book was not put in evidence. Possibly the coroner thought it not worthwhile to confuse the jury. 
The date of the first entries mentioned cannot be ascertained. The upper part of the leaf is torn away. The part of the entry remaining follows. Would run in a half circle, keeping his head turned always toward the center, and again he would stand still, barking furiously. At last he ran away into the brush as fast as he could go. I thought at first that he had gone mad, but on returning to the house found no other alteration in his manner than what was obviously due to fear of punishment. Can a dog see with his nose? Do odors impress some cerebral center with images of the thing that emitted them? September 2nd. Looking at the stars last night as they rose above the crest of the ridge east of the house, I observed them successively disappear from left to right. Each was eclipsed but an instant, and only a few at a time, but along the entire length of the ridge, all that were within a degree or two of the crest were blotted out. It was as if something had passed along between me and them, but I could not see it, and the stars were not thick enough to define its outline. Ugh, I don't like this. Several weeks' entries are missing, three leaves being torn from the book. September 27th. It has been about here again. I find evidences of its presence every day. I watched again all last night in the same cover, gun in hand, double-charged with buckshot. In the morning the fresh footprints were there as before. Yet I would have sworn that I did not sleep. Indeed, I hardly sleep at all. It is terrible, insupportable. If these amazing experiences are real, I shall go mad. If they are fanciful, I am mad already. October 3rd. I shall not go. It shall not drive me away. No, this is my house, my land. God hates a coward. October 5th. I can stand it no longer. I have invited Harker to pass a few weeks with me. He has a level head. I can judge from his manner if he thinks me mad. October 7th. I have the solution of the mystery. It came to me last night, suddenly, as by revelation. How simple! How terribly simple! There are sounds we cannot hear. At either end of the scale are notes that stir no chord of that imperfect instrument, the human ear. They are too high or too grave. I have observed a flock of blackbirds occupying an entire treetop, the tops of several trees, and all in full song. Suddenly, in a moment, at absolutely the same instant, all spring into the air and fly away. How? They could not all see one another. Whole treetops intervened. At no point could a leader have been visible to all. There must have been a signal of warning or command, high and shrill above the din, but by me unheard. I have observed, too, the same simultaneous flight when all were silent, among not only blackbirds, but other birds. Quail, for example, widely separated by bushes, even on opposite sides of a hill. It is known to seamen that a school of whales basking or sporting on the surface of the ocean, miles apart, with the convexity of the earth between, will sometimes dive at the same instant, all gone out of sight in a moment. The signal has been sounded, too grave for the ear of the sailor at the masthead and his comrades on the deck, who nevertheless feel its vibrations in the ship as the stones of a cathedral are stirred by the base of the organ. As with sounds, so with colors. At each end of the solar spectrum, the chemist can detect the presence of what are known as actinic rays. They represent colors, integral colors in the composition of light, which we are unable to discern. The human eye is an imperfect instrument. Its range is but a few octaves of the real chromatic scale. I am not mad. There are colors that we cannot see. And God help me, the damned thing is of such a color. Ah, get higher, baby. Ah, get higher, girl. Ah! 
does he do? Just say base. Now that there's the show. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Jamie from Devour the Podcast, Evil Episodes, and uh, especially to Gav Chucky Steele for sitting down with us and uh, really, man, uh, having a good time. Uh, it uh, it's a great film. Can't wait for you guys to see it. Um, so I'll, I'll put up some links where uh, you can find out more about the film and keep up with it. And uh, I'll be letting you know when you can uh, get your hands on that film. But uh, a lot of fun. So uh, thank you, thank you again for uh, everything that you guys do. You are wonderful, and uh, I'll be seeing you again next week. Hey.